Welcome to Sea of Fire Ministries with James Myers. In this series, we are studying the book of Acts. Today, we discuss Paul's defense to the mob in Jerusalem and what his testimony means for believers. We hope this message serves to strengthen and build up the church. Okay, so again, chapter 21, verse, uh, Acts chapter 21, verse 37, and then we'll read through uh, chapter 22. Then as Paul was about to be led into the barracks, he said to the commander, May I speak to you? He replied, Can you speak Greek? Are you not the Egyptian who some time ago stirred up a rebellion and led the 4,000 assassins out into the wilderness? But Paul said, I am a Jew from Tarsus in Cilicia, a citizen of no mean city, and I implore you, permit me to speak to the people. So 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 when he had given him permission, Paul stood on the stairs and motioned with his hand to the people. And when, there, and when there, was great, there was a great silence, he spoke to them in the Hebrew language, saying, Brethren and fathers, hear my defense before you now. And when they heard that he spoke to them in the Hebrew language, they kept all the more silent. Then he said, I am indeed a Jew, born in Tarsus of Cilicia, but brought up in this city at the feet of Gamaliel, taught according to the strictness of our father's law, and was zealous toward God as you, are, as you all are today. I, pers- I persecuted this way to the death, binding and delivering into prisons both men and women, as also the high priest bears me witness in all the council of, of the elders, from whom I also received letters to the brethren, and went to Damascus to bring in chains, even those who were there to Jerusalem to be punished. Now it happened as I journeyed and came near Damascus at about noon, suddenly a great light from heaven shone around me. And I fell to the ground and heard a vo- voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? So I answered, Who are you, Lord? And he said to me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. And those who were with me indeed saw the light and were afraid, but they did not hear the voice of him who spoke to me. So I said, What shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said to me, Arise and go into Damascus, and there you will be told all all things which are appointed for you to do. And since I, I could not see for the glory of that light, being led by the hand of those who were with me, I came into Damascus. Then a certain Ananias, a devout man according to the law, having a good testimony with all the Jews who dwelt there, came to me, and he stood and said to me, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that same hour I looked up at him. Then he said, The God of our fathers has chosen you, that you should know his will, and see the just one, and hear the voice of his mouth. For you will be his witness to all men of what you have seen and heard. And now why are you waiting? Arise and be baptized, and wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. Now it happened when I returned to Jerusalem and was praying in the temple that I was in a trance and saw him saying to me, Make haste and get out of Jerusalem quickly, for they will not receive your testimony concerning me. So I said, Lord, they know that in every synagogue I imprisoned and beat those who believe on you. And when the blood of your martyr Stephen was shed, I, was also, I, was, I also was standing by, by consenting to his death and guarding the clothes of those who were killing him. Then he said to me, Depart, for I will send you far from here to the Gentiles. And they listened to him until this word. And then they raised their voices and said, Away with such a fellow from the earth, for he is not fit to live. Then as they cried out and tore off their clothes and threw dust into the air, the commander ordered him to be brought into the barracks and said that he should be examined under scourging, so that he might know why they shouted so against him. And as they bound him with thongs, Paul said to the centurion who stood by, is it lawful for you to scourge a man who, who is a Roman and, and uncondemned? When the centurion heard that, he went and told the commander, saying, Take care what you do, for this man is a Roman. Then the commander came and said to him, Tell me, are you a Roman? 
He said, yes. The commander answered, with a large sum I, contain this, I obtained this citizenship. And Paul said, but I was born a citizen. Then immediately those who were about to examine him withdrew from him, and the commander was also afraid after he found out that he was a Roman, and because he had bound him. The next day, because he wanted to know for certain why he was accused by the Jews, he released them, him from his bonds and commanded the chief priests and all their council to appear and brought Paul down and set him before them. He who has ears to hear the word of God, let him hear. Our Father and our God, I pray for your witness today. I ask that you speak and you give us ears to hear, eyes to hear, see your truth and your gospel and your providence and your faithfulness in the lives of your ministers. I ask that you lead us through this passage that we can consider this wonderful defense that Paul gives to his true brothers, his blood brothers. Father, I, I ask that you bless this time with your providence and with your presence and your glory. It's in Christ's name we ask it. Amen. Okay. All right. So, just as he had given his exhortation to the elders to take heed, now he's exhorting the, this crowd really to give his own defense. Okay, we'll, we'll, we'll get to that. But let's go to verse, back up to uh, verse 37. I mean, real, that's just Paul was about to be going to the barracks and he said to the commander, may I speak to you? And he replied, can you speak Greek? Because the, the, uh, the commander says in 38, are you not the Egyptian who some time ago stirred up a rebellion and led the 4,000 assassins out into the wilderness? This commander, again, does not know why Paul, why the crowd just hates Paul so much <coughs> And while they want him, want to put him to death, right? Because he couldn't get an answer from them. And so he just supposes that this is the Egyptian. Josephus writes about this, and the basic account is that this man, this unnamed Egyptian, rose up about 4,000 men <coughs> to, to, to go against uh, Caesarea. And he even said, at my word, the walls will come tumbling down. These are all assassins. They are going to try to take it over. And ultimately, he's the only one who got away. Okay, everybody else was either caught or killed. This unnamed Egyptian got away. So this commander thinks, maybe this, this must be the guy. And this, is, this must be why the, the mob hates him and wants to put him to death. Okay? And so he, said, he asked him, do you speak Greek? Because if he's Egyptian, it's unlikely that he speaks Greek. I mean, depending on what part of Egyptian. I mean, in Alexandria, you would speak Greek. There was a lot of Egypt that did speak Greek. But he's, he's just like, do you speak Greek? Aren't you the Egyptian? And, and so uh, Paul says, I am a Jew from Tarsus in Cilicia, a citizen of no mean city, and I implore you, permit me to speak. So, I mean, that's, that's pretty clear. He's, he's just saying, I am a Jew from Tarsus. Now, this is the first time the commander knows where he's from. He's from Tarsus, which, which is in Cilicia, which is a Roman province. Okay, That doesn't guarantee you're a Roman citizen, though, which we'll see at the end of this account when he wants to beat him, because he still doesn't know that he's... A Roman citizen, technically. Okay, so forty. When he had given, uh, when he had given him permission, Paul stood on the stairs and motioned with his hand to the people. And when there was a great silence, he spoke to them in the Hebrew language. Said, "Okay, so he gave him permission, and he stood on the very stairs. Remember that he had to be carried up. On remember those people were intent, determined to kill him." And he had to be carried up those stairs. And he, those are the stairs he's, he's standing on. And he motions with his hand. Now this was customary at that time when, when, when you're prepared to give a speech. And these people probably know that this commander had to give him 
um, uh, permission to speak. Now, also, that conversation with the with the Roman uh, with the commander had to take longer than this little brief account. Again, Luke gives us a very brief account, but the commander would have had to have had, had actual proof that he wasn't the Egyptian, you know, before he because he's not going to let it like you know, this felon, this escaped felon, speak to the masses. So, but so then he spoke to them in the Hebrew language. It's a very smart thing from Paul to do. He goes back to their native tongue. Now, the Hebrew language was somewhat corrupted coming out of their captivity. So whether he spoke the, the actual tradition or, traditional Hebrew or the one with the little Chaldean or Syrian influence, we don't know. It doesn't really matter. But ultimately, he goes to their native language. Very, and that's why they, they even start listening all the more. It says, um, and when they heard that he spoke to them in the Hebrew language, they kept all the more silent. So that, that, uh, that causes more of their silence. However... He addresses them, brethren and fathers, hear my, hear my defense, they, uh, I'm sorry, hear my defense before you now. So he calls them brethren and fathers. This is a very appropriately, but a deferential address. These are the people who were trying to kill him, okay? But he is saying, even then, you are not my enemies. I am still a Jew. I love you. You are still my family. I, I still love Yahweh. You know, so brethren and fathers, you are my brothers. You are my fathers. I know you want to kill me, but so he addressed them, brethren and, father, and fathers. Hear my defense for you now. Anybody guess what that word defense is? Is that for you? Remember? I've studied it for a long time. It's apologia. Remember when Paul has said, always be ready to give a defense for the hope that, it, that is within you. It's the same thing. So this is this is the this is the purpose for Paul to do this. He has given his his defense not just to defend himself against death, but defend himself against slander, to to defend himself against being accused of something that is not true. I am still a Jew, I'm still a practicing Jew, a faithful Jew. Okay. Okay, there, there are five, also five main points I also want to point out before we even look through this. Uh, one is that, so throughout his address, we will see this happen, okay? The first thing is that Paul was a very pious Jew. He was zealous for the law, and he was fervent to protect uh, Judaism from heresy. That's why he was an enemy. So the second point is he was an enemy of Christ. He was fervent in his faithfulness to, Juda to Judaism to persecute the church, right? And then the third point is he's called by Christ, okay? And then the fourth, the fourth point is Paul embraced, not conjecture, nothing that he speculated upon, nothing that he made up on, on his own, but revelation from the, 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 the uh, precise and specific revelation from Christ himself and through Ananias, as we'll see. But, so it was revelation, not conjecture. And the fifth and last one, he wanted to preach in Jerusalem. He makes that a point later on in his speech, or in his address to the mob. He, want, he truly wanted to. And even Christ, Christ tells him, you need to depart out of this city. They're not going to receive your testimony. He basically says, you know, they all know I was persecuting all these people. I mean, I don't see why you think that they're <laughs> going to, you know, be hostile towards me. And he says, get out of this city. Anyway, so he, he makes it, the final point is that he did want to preach in Jerusalem, but um, Christ commanded him not to go. So that's just going to be important for these for these people somewhat, because part of that is something that they don't like, that he's sent out into the Gentiles. And that's the word that, that, that causes their fury to, to return. 
Okay. I am indeed a Jew, born in Tarsus of Cilicia, and brought up in this city at the feet of Gamaliel, taught according to the strictness of our father's law, and was zealous toward God as you, are all to, as you all are today. So we also have to recognize that the commander is also listening to this, okay? So here's, even Paul had told him, I, I was born in Tarsus. Now he hears that, yeah, he was born in Tarsus, but he was brought up in this city, in Jerusalem. He was actually brought up in Jerusalem under the, in, un, at the feet of uh, Gamaliel. Remember, we had seen him before. He's very well known in, in uh, Jewish history, in history specifically. He was from the school of Hillel, which was a school of the law at that time, but he was very prominent. He was very well known. Remember, it was his intercession that got them not to kill the apostles that one time. They, they suffered that crazy beating, you know, but then they, they freed him and commanded them not to preach in Jesus' name. Anyway, that's the same Gamaliel. So Paul was taught now he, now he says, uh, so at the feet of Gamaliel, so that's going to be big for these people. The, this mob, this mob of people are basically just a, a bunch of common men, right? They haven't studied at the feet of Gamaliel. They were not a Pharisee of Pharisees. They know who Paul was, but they, they are acting out on this presupposition, on this thing that, that, that Paul is going around and preaching people to do away with the customs of Moses. That even to the Jews, you no longer need to be circumcised and all that. And that is not true. Remember, that, that is not true at all. But that is why they are so angry. Just based on their false assumptions. Um, so, and taught according to the strictness of our Father's law. So, he makes, he makes a neat little and pretty, very wise move and prudent move apologetically. He's, he's telling them, I did... I, I did learn the law, so I know the law very well because I learned from this prominent teacher of Israel, Gamaliel. You all know who Gamaliel is. However, I was, I was taught according to the strictness of our fathers. What I believe he's implying there is what they changed the law into. You know, they made it so laborious that on the Sabbath, you couldn't do anything. And Christ continues to say, who of you, if you were to lose your sheep or whatever, wouldn't go out and find him even on the Sabbath? You know, this obviously, you know, because, you know, he, there's, the, there's a man with a withered hand and, you know, they're seeing what he's going to do with him. And he says, you know, is it better to save life or to, uh, or to uh, kill? Is it, is it better to kill or to heal? And they say, heal. And so he heals him. Anyway, on the Sabbath, because it's better. So ultimately, it depends on the circumstance. But again, so he was zealous, but he was taught according to the strictness of our Father's law and was zealous toward God as you all are today. Because again, he was persecuting the church. He's basically saying, I was just like you. I, I understand your anger. I was just like you about 20 years ago. <laughs> you know, it's roughly around that time. 20 years have passed now since he was called. And so he's saying, I, I completely understand. Uh, I was as zealous toward God as you are all this day. I, pers I persecuted this way to the death, binding and delivering into prisons both men and women. I do want to say, because we've discussed the, the way, um, I do you want to talk about 
we've talked about certain ways that this could mean, but this could also be like an, according to some of the metaphors used in the Old Testament, which uh, one is in Genesis 18, 19, for I have known him in order that he may command his children and his household after him that they keep the way of the Lord to do righteousness and justice that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has spoken to him. Deuteronomy 8, 6 says, Therefore you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God to walk in his ways and to fear him. Uh, Psalm 18, 21 says, For I have kept the ways of the Lord and have not wickedly departed from my God. So those are metaphors that it's, it's possible maybe this way is basically the way that God is commanding and imploring all of his people to continually do. However, it's more likely the one coming from Isaiah uh, chapter 40, verses 3 through 5, talking about really um, John the Baptist. Uh, so he's the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be exalted and every mountain and hill brought low. The crooked places shall be made straight and the rough places smooth and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. So uh, it, it, it's most likely that one because again, John the Baptist came to prepare the way of the Lord of Christ's coming. So he prepared the way, and the way now is Jesus Christ. And we've talked about it's possible, alluding, possibly alluding to when Jesus said he's the way, the truth, and the life. So many different ways by which uh, that can be that can be read. Okay, uh, verse 5. As also the high priest bear me witness, and all the counsel of the elders for, from whom I also received letters to the brethren, and went to Damascus to bring in chains, even those who were there to Jerusalem to be punished. So if you want witnesses... If you want witnesses of this, go to the high priest and go to the elders, whose witness you would you you would never doubt, you would never question, you would always you you would you would be ready to accept. So I'm telling you, go to the authorities. Those are my witnesses, the very leaders of Israel. So not only was I zealous for the and fervent to persecute this way, but everybody knows this. All the leaders of Jerusalem, all the leaders of Israel know this. So six. Now this, this begins his conversion story, an account of his conversion story. Remember, the, the first one was Luke telling, it, telling us what happened, and now it's Paul telling them what happened. So it is a first-person account, and we're going to get to see a little bit more information, and, and obviously from the perspective of Paul himself. Now what happened, as I journeyed and came near Damascus at about noon, suddenly a great light from heaven shone around me, so shone around him, just around him, and I fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Okay, now, he's, he's obviously already prominent at that time, so they were probably riding a horse, so he fell to the ground, I mean, so you can't imagine just him walking and just kind of tripped and fell or whatever, he probably fell straight from, his, from the horse, because... The ones who Christ calls, the one who the ones Christ saves, first breaks them, first makes causes them to drop on their knees in submission, in absolute and total submission to His salvation. When we come to ourselves, and see ourselves for who we are, and see Him for who He is, our compassionate Father running to us, then we drop to our knees in submission. That is what happened to Paul. So we drop. So he fell to the ground and heard a voice. So again, you fall to the ground before you rise in the light of Christ. Okay, so, uh, so I, so I fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to me, "Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me?" 
Again, we've talked about how Christ, through the persecution of the church, he himself is persecuted. But let us also recognize, then if he suffers with us, then he will comfort us. If he is with us in the suffering, then he is there to comfort us as well and to lift us up into his presence, into his glory. And so whatever suffering, whatever suffering is nothing compared to being with our Savior, to being with our God and being with him and enjoying him and glorifying in him and worshiping him. It doesn't matter whatever trial. Remember when, and when Paul and Silas were put in that dark center dungeon and chained while their backs were still wounded and open and they sing hymns to God and pray. That's faith. That's faith. It does not depend on circumstance. It depends on God. That's true faith. It's not a blind leap into the darkness. Our God is not a God of darkness. It's going, it's moving from the darkness into the light. There is nothing more visual and perceptual, perceptive than to walk, to go from the darkness to the light. So, okay. And those who were with me indeed saw the light and were afraid, but they did not hear the voice of him who spoke to me. So they saw the light, so it didn't shine around them. So he has witnesses. We kind of talked about this too. So he's continually telling them, and there were people with me, okay? This didn't happen in a vacuum. I'm not telling you something I just kind of made up or whatever, okay? There were, there were plenty of guys with me. They saw the light and they heard the voice, but they didn't hear what it said. Okay, we, we considered that at that time as well. So, because this is specifically just for Paul, right? Christ is coming to call Paul. And so what he is, his light is specific for Paul in this account. And what he's saying, his word, his call is specific to Paul in this account. They hear a voice. They don't hear what it says. Okay. But again, he has witnesses for this account. So I said, what shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said to me, arise and go into Damascus, and there you will be told all things which, you, which are appointed for you to do. Because again, these things are appointed for you to do. You don't get to pick and choose what you, get, what you want to do. You want to go down to Asia, and I say no, then it's no. You want to go up to Bithynia, and I say no, then it's no, because I have Lydia in Philippi waiting for you. So uh, you will go and, and you will be told all things which are appointed for you to do. And since I could not see for the glory of that light, so it wasn't the light that blinded him. It was the glory of Christ in the light that blinded him. When you come from darkness to light, have, have you, I'm sure all of us have been in deep, deep darkness for a long time, and then we come out into the sun, and you're blinded for a time. You can't see anything. You've got all these spots everywhere. Well, that lasts for three days with Paul. This is a great, radiant, pure, <laughs> fantastic light that was lighter than the noonday sun. Remember, this happened at noon, and a light shone around him. <laughs> so a light greater than that of the sun shone around him, that's, that's going to blind you for a time. And really, it's, it, it's only for, from this, this minister, so Paul... And so, so Christ, once he calls him and saves him, sends him straight to the minister he wants for him. And under Ananias is where Paul will learn a lot from Christ. But let's get there. Okay. So, since I could not see for the glory of the light, being led by the hand of those who were with me, I came into Damascus. So again, those faithful, those faithful men who were journeying with him helped him along. These, these are faithful companions. Then a certain Ananias, a devout man according to the law, having a good testimony with all the Jews who dwelt there. So just so you know, mob, 
<laughs> this this is a devout Jew, and he has he's well respected. You see that as as a pre uh, Paul requires that of any deacons of any elders, not only must they be seen blameless and all that to the church, but to outside the church as well. They have to have a good testimony among fallen men and women as well. So he's basically making the point that before you think that this is some crazy Christian who hate who wants to go against the customs of Moses as well, this was a devout Jew. Okay. Uh, and has a good testimony with all who were there. Okay. Came to me and stood and said to me, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that same hour I looked at looked up at him. Because so again, at that same hour I looked up at him. So again, he received his sight, and then he sees his ministry. Now he's remember, he sat at the feet of Gamaliel. Now basically he's going to sit at the feet of Ananias and learn of the wonderful testimony of Christ from this devout Jew to take into all the world. He is getting prepared. He's getting prepared for his call, for Christ has called him to this purpose, and now he is preparing him for this exact same purpose. Wonderful, it's beautiful. And it's this, uh, this devout man, Ananias, who's doing this. Remember, we saw the other Ananias, remember in chapter 5, I think it was, who had, was trying to lie to God and lie to the Holy Spirit, and he and his wife, uh, Sapphira, were felt dead. Remember, so. That was terrible Ananias. We're going to see another terrible Ananias. Uh, but this Ananias is faithful. He's a wonderful, great man. Um, then he said, and now we don't have this account in chapter 9. What's, to, what's followed, what comes here. So Ananias also said, The God of our fathers has chosen you that you should know his will and see the just one and hear the voice of his mouth. This is wonderful. This is wonderful for Paul too, to tell to these Jews that this, this Ananias told me that the God of our fathers... He didn't say the Father of Jesus Christ. He said the God of our fathers because the God of the Father of Jesus Christ and God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit is the God of our fathers. But he's, he's, he's naming him the God of our fathers. Remember, he's the God of Isaac, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God of our fathers or Yahweh. I am who I am. But he's saying the God of our fathers has chosen you that you should know his will. That's, that applies to all of his people. That he, that he chose, chooses us to know his will. He doesn't choose us so that he can know our will. He already knows our will. So he chooses us to know his will and see the just one. We've talked about that. That, that is a title that Isaiah refers to as the, as the coming suffering servant, as the Messiah. So he, he, he's pointing these people also to Isaiah. Look, this was a faithful man in all different ways. I have not given up Judaism. I have not given up the Jewish customs, okay? I, this Christ saved me, and he sent me to this devout Jew who's referring to the God of our fathers. Uh, you should know his will and see the just one, you know, and hear the voice of his mouth. For you will be his witness to all, witness to all men of what you have seen and heard. Remember when Jesus, in, during the rebirth in series, he says, he tells Nicodemus, we, we uh, testify to what we have seen and heard. We don't testify of things that we could just, again, speculate upon and conjecture. We testify to things we have seen and heard. That is true of any, every, all faithful people. We do not preach a Christ we don't know and have not seen. Is he visible right now, physically? No. No, he is not visible right now, physically. But if you have not seen your Savior, then you don't know your Savior. We testify to what we have seen and heard. And if you have not heard his voice, 
you do not know your Savior. When you come to salvation, when you come to Christ, He shows Himself to you. He's glad to. Again, it would be like my refusing to show myself to Sarah, my wife. That's silly. Refusing to hear her or even speak to her. That's silly. So we, testif we also testify to what we have seen in her. That's what he's doing. That, that's what Christ is calling him to do. Testify to what you have seen and heard. And now why are you waiting? Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. Now, so quickly, what, why are you waiting? Now, I doubt you know this, this had to do with the laxity of Paul, but Paul is probably dealing with his shame still. You know, he, he, he thought he was serving God when he was persecuting the church. And then he's come to find out he was killing. He, he was a part of killing God's people. That would break his heart. So he would be shattered. He might be a little slow to be baptized. To, because some people, as we've talked about, think that they just need to be a certain amount, you know, be of a certain value, right? They need to make themselves a little more valuable. So it's possible that's what he was going on. Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins. Again, baptism does not wash away your sins, but it's a symbol of washing away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. So that's prayer. That's prayer. Now it happened when I returned to Jerusalem and was praying in the temple that I was in a trance. We've talked about trances and, and visions, and, but he, he's saying I, when I was in the temple, when I returned and I was in the temple, this is what happened. <laughs> okay, mob, this is what happened. And, and saw him saying to me, make haste and get out of Jerusalem quickly, for they will not receive your testimony concerning me. And this again goes to what I was already saying. He, he's, he, Christ comes to him in this vision, in this trance, and he says, get out of here in a hurry. These people will not receive your testimony. Probably goes into more of, and they seek to kill you. Because when, when we read that account at first, it was found out by, uh, by uh, the brothers that they were seeking to kill him. And that's why they tell them to go away. So, but anyway, so Jesus tells him, make haste and get out of here. So I said, Lord, they know that in every synagogue I imprisoned and beat those who believe on you. And when the blood of your martyr Stephen was shed, I also was standing by, consenting to his death, and guarding the clothes of those who were killing him. So again, he's just saying, Jesus, they're, they're probably going to hear my testimony. I mean, it, I think you saved the right man for this job. <laughs> you, know? you know, I was the big, biggest persecutor of the way at the time. You know, they'll listen to me. They'll listen to me. And he says, and uh, so Jesus said, then he said, Okay, depart, get out of here, <laughs> do what I said, for I will send you far from here to the Gentiles. So this whole testimony first, all of this, they're all silent. They're all readily hearing him, happily hearing him in their native tongue, and they're all happy about it, and then they come to this part, then he comes to this part. This Jesus, they didn't, they didn't start getting all upset when, they were even, when he was re referring to, him, to Jesus, as Lord and as Messiah. Seemed to be fine with that. Seemed to let that go just fine. And Ananias healing him, they didn't have a problem with that. Uh, even Jesus telling him to get out of the city, they don't start there. They start when he says, depart for I, meaning the Lord. So now they're hearing him say, the Lord told me, told me, I'm sending you to the Gentiles. That's so. Uh, and they listened to him until this word, and then they raised their voices and said, Away with such a fellow from the earth, for he is not fit to live. So it is not 
now, now, now they're 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 raging their hostility is all is all corrected, right? So they know. Okay, well, apparently he's not teaching against the customs of Moses. Okay, sounds like he he is a pious Jew. He's a devout Jew, going to other devout Jews, and and seemingly wants to preach in in Jerusalem. He, you know, kind of insisting, arguing against God, you know, and all that. But whoa, what is this that he just said about going to the Gentiles? You know, we won't have this. So now. They have a new reason to kill him. All, all the, the, the previous one is done away with. His testimony has re rebuked that and refuted that. Now, he says, I was sent to the Gentiles. That was what kind of led up into this misunderstanding because he was being sent to the Gentiles. And so the accusation was, since he was telling the Gentiles, you don't have to follow the ceremonial law. You don't have to get circumcised. You don't have to keep the diet. Jesus has fulfilled all that. If you're a devout Jew, do that. You know, but since he was going to the Gentiles and telling them and proclaiming and preaching to them the liberty that Christ, that Christ has bought, then they assumed that he was doing that to Jews as well, which was not true. But again, so just that this, this, this fact that you were telling me that God has sent you to the Gentiles, these people are full of sectarianism. So, you know, they, they find, so they see the world like in little sections and just like America does to a certain degree, I, I, you know. I don't see anything wrong with being patriotic, patriotic, but there are tendencies to almost detest the rest of the world by comparison or see them so much lower than us. And that's kind of what's going on here. Okay, they, they, they have been blessed and called by God. They are an exalted people throughout the Old Testament. Remember, even God calls him, them his firstborn, remember? So they are exalted throughout that time. But they think it is only for them, for they are the sons of Abraham, right? As we've seen. And so this will, this provokes. And again, even though throughout the Old Testament, uh, God had promised that he will go out to the Gentiles, that he will bring the Gentiles to himself as well. But they're not having it here. Then, as they cried out more and tore off their clothes and threw dust into the air. We've talked about this. This is either rending their garments in grief or just like when Stephen was martyred, remember they took off their cloaks and laid it at the feet of Paul because it gives them more leverage really for the stones. You know, that kind of, the stuff would get in the way. So then as they cried out and did that and threw the dust in the air, they're just furious. The commander ordered him to be brought into the barracks and said that he should be examined under scourging so that, uh, so that he might know why they shouted so against him. Romans would do this all the time. The Romans would do this because, you know, you're not going to trust... There's a reason this mob is angry, right? That's what the commander knows. I know they're not, you know, going crazy for no reason. And all of a sudden, you know, they, they start, their fury rises up again because you're talking about going to the Gentiles and all of a sudden they're angry again. I don't know what you did. I don't know what you did, but you did something. And I know I can't just sit you down and have a one-on-one -on -one conversation with you and because you're probably some felon that I don't know about. So I'm not going to just trust you by your word. No, I'm going to scourge you, I'm going to hurt you, I'm going to hang you, and I'm going to beat you with a rod of whips, which would be a, basically the, that which Christ was flogged with. The one that basically had thongs that, that had metal shards in it and, and bones and pieces which would tear into your skin. So that's what they would do. They would basically hang them off, off the ground and beat them until... They confessed, or until the soldiers were 
content with with the information that they got. This is probably this seems like it might be true. So get him down. But so that's what he's commanding. Um, and as they brought, uh, I'm sorry. And as they bound him with thongs, Paul Paul said to the centurion who stood by, "Is it lawful for you to scourge a man who is who is a Roman and uncondemned?" So he, not only is he a Roman, but he's also uncondemned. He hasn't been tried, right? When the centurion heard that, he went and told the commander, saying, Take care of what you do, for this man is a Roman. What should have mattered is that he's uncondemned. He hasn't been tried. He hasn't been found guilty. His commander has no idea why these people are angry. Must, should a man be beaten for this? Beaten without cause? Without, be, without trial? Without testimony? Without anything? You haven't had a testimony at all. You've heard one thing from one person, another, a contradictory thing from another person. So you have no idea. So is it lawful for you to do that? That should have taken preeminence. That should have been the biggest matter. But, but to the Romans, being a Roman would be the biggest deal. I mean, they were just as zealous for the Roman law and the Roman customs as the Jews were for theirs. Let me just say that too. And just as the tendency of all men do. You know, we, we boast in ourselves of, of the truths that we find just absolute and everything. And, you know, that's the tendency of men. Okay, so, um, okay. when the centurion, yeah, take care of what you do for this man is Rome. So the centurion probably asked him for proof as well. And the commander definitely had to have. So, so he, he went to the commander, told him, be careful what you do for this man is Rome. Remember that it is completely unlawful to bound a Roman without being tried, or to definitely to flog a Roman ever without being tried, or to even imprison a Roman without being tried. Then the commander came and said to him, tell me, are you a Roman citizen, a Roman? He said, yes. The commander answered, with a large sum I obtained this citizenship. To become a Roman citizenship, you basically had, to become a Roman citizen, you basically had to earn it. You'd either serve in some high capacity in the military, or in a, in a political spectrum, or in all sorts of different ways, okay? And that's going to play a part for Paul, because he was born a Roman, okay? So, that's the thing. This commander sees this Sicilian, this Jewish Sicilian come in, and he's like, no, this man cannot be a Roman. Now, if you deceived, and you said you were a Roman, and you weren't a Roman, that's an automatic death penalty. Quick, swift, ugly. But... So he comes to him, says, are you indeed Roman? And he said, uh, and he said, yes. And he says, with a large sum, I obtained this citizenship. And Paul said, but I was born a citizen. This means his father must, he had to be very prominent. In some ways, we don't know. You know, he's taught to be a tent maker. He could have just been a great entrepreneur. He could have served in the military. We don't really know. But he ends up in Tarsus, so that's very unlikely. But either way, He's very prominent. He was likely wealthy to pay for all of um, Paul's schooling and everything as he's being brought up in Jerusalem to send him off into Jerusalem. And so him being born a citizen, he's like, I understand you obtained this with a large sum. I, I get that. But I was born this way. Just like, you know, I was born in sin, but I was born a Roman citizen. <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. Then immediately those who were about to examine him withdrew from him, and the commander was also afraid after he found out that he was a Roman. And because he had already bound him, he had bound him already, so he's afraid. Now, he doesn't release him immediately. He doesn't release him immediately. He waits till the next day, as we'll see. And this just sets up the, the, the next chapter. The next day, because he wanted to know for certain why he was accused by the Jews, he released him from his bonds and commanded the chief priests and all their counsel to appear and brought Paul down and set him before them. So that just 
prepare some next week. But he definitely had to ask for more proof of Paul's citizenship. Okay, I guarantee you this did not end the conversation where he says, but I was born, <laughs> you know, a citizen. You know, that, that's not enough testimony. He probably had a couple witnesses come. So that might have been why he kept him overnight. Just until I know for sure that, the, that you are indeed a Roman. And I'm, I am still determined to find out what you did. Okay, so tomorrow you, you, you prove to me that you are indeed a Roman. I'll unbind you and set you before this council, which we'll consider next week, God willing. And so we can talk about and find out finally what you did. So I know many of us are very familiar with uh, Psalm 23. I think this applies very well to Paul as we see him moving more and more into hostility and specifically as he moves more and more towards Rome and to his coming death, his imminent martyrdom. I don't know if y'all know Psalm 23. You can turn to it or scroll to it if you'd like. It starts off, the Lord is my shepherd. So if the Lord is my shepherd, then obviously he is my Lord as well, but he is my shepherd. He takes care of me. He provides for me. He protects me and he takes care of me. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want anything. I certainly don't, I won't be in want for my daily provisions and my daily sustenance. God is amazingly faithful, but I will never be in want of anything, for the Lord is my shepherd. He makes me lie down in green pastures. It's literally tender pastures of grass. Soft, soft. He's there to comfort you. He is your shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. He leads me beside the still waters. We talk about the raging storms, you know, on the sea, on the seas of Galilee when Christ is walking on them or when he's asleep, you know, and all that. But he leads us beside still and peaceful waters, right? He restores my soul. My soul is always fighting within me. I'm always complaining, right? I'm always in the wilderness, but he restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake, not for mine. He doesn't conform me to his image that I might boast of myself, but that I might boast of him. He leads me in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. And this specifically, I think, is well for Paul. Yea, do I walk through the valley of the shadow of death? Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, the valley of the shadow of death. Not just death, not just the valley, <laughs> the valley of the shadow of death, the darkest death. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. You will never forsake me. You will never leave me. You will never forsake me. You are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Shepherd's rod and staff is made for protection. It's also made to lead them. And it's meant to comfort, but to, to, to provide for them, to protect them. So, your rod, your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Even though the world is up against me, even, the world, even though the enemies of the church press hard against the church, you prepare your table, you provide for your children, 
you make a feast for me in the presence, in, in the sight of all of them. So you prepare a, a place before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. This is a king's anointing. Christ's head was anointed as well. His feet were as well. But David's head was anointed to become king. You anoint my head with oil. This is, this is a, a royal anointing that he gives to all of his people. Again, he anoints us into his son. Christ is the king of kings. So he anoints his head, our heads with oil. Okay. So, you anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over all your provisions. You don't just fill my cup to the brim. Keep pouring. My cup runs over in my father's house. He has servants who have bread enough and to spare. There is no limit to God's grace. There's no limit to his provisions. There's no limit to his blessings. So, you want my head with oil? Um, my cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the rest of my days. And I will dwell in my house of the Lord forever. Surely. Surely. I've seen you enough, God, to know goodness and mercy shall follow me all the rest of my days. You will never leave me. You will never forsake me. Sure, will there be times where I'll feel isolated in your presence? Isn't it as obvious? Sure. But I know goodness and mercy shall follow me all the rest of my days. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I dwell in your house now. I will dwell in your house forever. And just as the prophecy about Christ, the zeal for your house consumes me. That's another thing I hope we can get to, God willing. But I think that's a perfect song to encourage Paul and to encourage us. But I think this is probably something he was praying throughout his imprisonment, throughout his going to his martyrdom. You know, it's it's a wonderful prayer. It's a very comforting prayer. Uh, I pray it often. I pray you do too. Uh, but we'll see Paul continually, really giving these different testimonies now, just like we talked about last week. You know, next week we'll see him testify to the council, to you know Sanhedrin again, and then he'll be delivered up to the governor Felix. And then ultimately he'll be sent off to uh, testify before Caesar, but we don't see that. But anyway, this is a continual, perpetual testimony of Paul to different men for different reasons. That we'll get to consider the great apostle um, in his defense, in his apology. I'll shut her remember that. All right, <laughs> All right let's pray. Oh, okay. Good question. Oh, sure. Um, why does Acts 21 end with like, the comma and then it goes into 22 and kind of continues on? What's that? Um, how 21, Acts 21, kind of ends with, um, no, and they were, and they were uh, a great silence. He spoke to them in the Hebrew language saying, and then it Yeah, so Stephen Langton is credited as uh, dividing the Bible, but there, there have been different, uh, he was a cardinal, but there have been different people attributed with that as well. I can't tell you. The, the, what I can tell you is verse 40 should have been the beginning of chapter 22. This is what I've talked about. I don't know. Sometimes it's hard to say. I mean, with, with uh, like, I think verse 30 should go into uh, chapter 23, but I can also see it concluding chapter 22. So I think it's this one 
makes a little bit more sense to me in that regard. But I can't answer that question, and ultimately, I find it to be a mistake. So, all right. Good question, though. That's fair. <clears throat> Father and our God, we thank you. We thank you for your abundant providence, your abundant blessings, and that you never forsake us, and that you never will. Even though our faith is at times fleeting, and at times we complain and choose to wander in the wilderness, you are always present. You are ever with us. Never forsake us. And for that, we should never fear. We must and should find our confidence and our boldness in you and you alone. Rise up in us a testimony and a witness by your Son, for your Son, whose name we ask it. Amen. Mm -hmm. Thank you for listening to Sea of Fire Ministries. We hope and pray this has blessed you in your walk with God, and we hope you join us again next week. You have been listening to Sea of Fire Ministries, where the Word of God is life. <laughs>